You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Father, I pray for our hearts to be open to your word and to what we need to do uh, in an ever-changing and an ever-darker world. And we ask of you, Lord, to visit us with your presence in every church that's meeting across this state, in America, around the world. We just pray, God, for your presence. Lord, for God's people to rise up and shine. And we ask for you to speak to us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Our text today is probably one of the most important in all of the Bible. All of the Bible is God's word, but there are some places that are especially important. And this is the story of the birth of the church. Uh, It comes right at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, the stories about Jesus and his life. And uh, each of the gospels ends with a farewell from Jesus, and he ascends into heaven. And then that farewell is revisited in the book of Acts. In the first chapter, Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And then uh, they do that, and they're they're meeting in this upper room for about 10 days. Jesus was, he ascended into heaven 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, came 50 days after Passover. That's when Jesus was crucified. So we know that the disciples were praying in the upper room for probably about a week to 10 days. And then the Holy Spirit came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind and they started to speak in tongues and prophesy and there were all kinds of unusual, strange, bizarre and in some ways frightening things that happened and uh, somehow, we don't know how it happened but there was this noise, everybody in Jerusalem heard the noise and people ran together, you know, what's happening and uh, apparently that, uh, apparently when some of the disciples received the Holy Spirit. They just kind of went into a kind of a swoon. They were starting to act like they were drunk. And maybe they kind of staggered out of the upper room out in the streets. And they're talking in foreign languages. There are people there from all over the world because this is one of the three great annual Jewish festivals. There's Passover. There's Pentecost 50 days later. And then in the fall, there's uh, the Feast of, of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so the people have made pilgrimages to, they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The city is filled with people. And, uh, and so they're hearing these, these drunk-like people talking about God and praising God in, in their languages. And uh, so Peter stands up. They're saying, these men are, these, these are drunk. These people are drunk. And it's, they're crazy. And, and uh, Peter stands up and he preaches. There's thousands of people now gathered. And he preaches and he says... Uh, these, are not, these people are not drunk uh, like you think. Uh, this is a promise being fulfilled from the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is, this is the spirit coming and this is, this is a new day. And um, Peter, he ends, he has a little ser- a brief sermon. We, it may have been longer, but the way it's recorded, it's a little shorter. And, it, and then he comes to the end of the sermon and that's what we're going to focus on today. Not Pentecost, not, not the coming of the Spirit, not, not the sermon, but the end of the sermon and what happens after Peter's sermon, after this event. 
because that's about you and me. Okay, where, where do we go from here? What do we do now? So here's what happens. Peter ends his sermon by saying this, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. He says, God has raised Jesus to life. Tells a story about Jesus. And we are all witnesses of that fact. Uh, exalted to the right hand of God. He said, they saw him ascend into heaven. They saw the resurrected Christ. Were witnesses to that. And then they saw him ascend into heaven. And he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he's poured this out now. And you see it and you hear it. And there, there's evidence all around you. This is, I know this is bizarre, but, but this was promised by the prophets centuries ago. And then in verse 36, we drop down and, and Peter says, and he has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified and who's been raised from the dead. He's made him both Lord and Christ. He's, he's made him Lord and Christ. Jesus is Master and Messiah He's God. He's Savior. He's the resurrected Christ. And so you come to the end of this Peter's message, and everybody reacts. Uh, Look at verse uh, 37. It says, when the people heard this, okay, about you crucified Jesus, that was a public event. Everybody knew about this. There were rumors about the resurrection. And now this crazy thing happens. And Peter's explaining to them what happened. And it says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So we don't know if people were shouting this, if people were howling. You know, this, this was one very dramatic day. And this is how it's translated in the message. So now what do we do? We could look at the next. So now what do we do? Say that with me. So now what do we do? You know, church, church for Americans has become sort of a slice of our life. And we come and we do our thing and we see our friends and we have pumpkin coffee and, and, uh, and then we go home and watch a football game. Uh, a big game tonight. Cardinals are playing Seattle. Um, so, you know, we, we just sort of, it's just our routine. And I, I, was, I was at a meeting uh, with some pastors of big churches in Dallas and one of the people, there were about 30 or 40 of us, 40 of us there, and one of, the, one of the guys who came to share with us was T.D. Jakes. I met him personally. Most of you have heard of T.D. Jakes. And there was you know, questions about you know, what, what the culture of the black church and the culture of, of the white church and, and the role of the clergyman in the black church and the role of the pastor in a white church. And, and uh, T.D. Jakes said something I'll never forget. He said, he said uh, for, you, for you white folks... And there were mostly white pastors in that room. For you white folks, you have the church. But for the black community, the church is all we've had. I mean, it's our, it's our social place of social connection. It's our place where we find God. It's, it's a place where we found strength. Our, our pastors have been our spokespeople uh, for social justice issues and civil rights when there's no one in public office to represent us, when it's hard for us to get to the polls, when it's been difficult for us to vote, the church is all we've had. I want you to know in many places in the world, the church is all people have. But for us, it's just kind of one more thing. And so, you know, these people now on the day of Pentecost, this is not just a church service. This is a a massive public event. It's affecting the whole city. There are thousands of people are gathered And Peter's just saying, listen, Jesus 
is the Messiah promised by the Old Testament, and he's been raised from the dead. And the people, the people cry out, so now what do we do? You know, if, if we kind of heard that every week, you know, we come to church. You know, there's millions of people coming to church this weekend. You know, Catholic churches, Protestant churches, big churches, little churches. You know, imagine if people, they heard the word of God and they were cut to the heart. And it wasn't just, well, that was a really good sermon. You know, we are more influenced by our culture than we are by the word of God. Some people, Christian people, I'm sure not here in Oracle, Samuel, Catalina. I'm sure not people in this area. But there are Christians who spend more time watching Fox News than they spend reading the Bible. And they're just hostile. And they're fearful. And, and, they're, and if, you, if pastors, like if I talk about, I've had people get upset with me because I say kind of, sounds like I'm saying negative things about Fox News. I mean, everything they say is true. Okay. Um, unless you're a Democrat. Okay. Sort of where you're coming from. So, you know, people get upset. Uh, and, and it's, you, you know, you got you to know this, folks. The media and politicians kind of need the same thing. They need people. So the media, they need viewers. And politicians, they need votes, right? So you know how you get people? You know how you get votes? Just watch political ads uh, as, as we come, to the, uh, come up on the, on the, on the campaign, on, on the election in the fall next year. Watch the political ads, how evil they get. And you know, you know why they continue to use these evil misrepresentations of the other candidate? Do you know why? Because it works. People actually listen. It makes people mad. They believe what they see and hear on television. And so we're, we're affected by that. You know, James has been talking about money. And people say, well, the church shouldn't talk about money. Well, if the church doesn't talk about money, who's going to talk about money? Who's going to talk about it? Between now and next Sunday, you are going to be assaulted with hundreds and hundreds of advertising, uh, moments of advertising, because they want your money and they could care less about whether or not you're in debt or whether or not you go bankrupt. They just want your money. And the church is in the business of helping people, not just to give money to the church, but to help them with their issues of debt you know, Dave Ramsey, he's a Christian, and he's having an impact all over the country, talking to people about God's perspective on money. And so, you know, we come to church, it shouldn't just be another slice of our life. It, this is the house of God, and this is where people, after the last service, people were using the word perspective. It's so, this is such important perspective, especially in a day and hour when the world is just coming apart. We need each other more than ever. And so you hear this, if Jesus, do you believe Jesus is raised from the dead and that he's the Christ, the Messiah, and he's master and Lord? Every time you hear that, you say, so now what do we do? Okay, so what does Peter say? Okay, he says uh, the kind of four things. Number one, he says, repent. Okay, now I hate that word because I don't know what it means. The English word. It sounds religious, doesn't it? Repent. What does, if, I get, if I ask everybody in this room what repent means, I would get as many answers and definitions as there are people. 
The Greek word is real clear. It's real simple. It's the word metanoia. Okay? Now, you know the word metamorphosis? Okay. Metamorphosis means something that morphs. You change. Morph in Greek means form. So meta and meta means change. We're going to change the form. Metamorphosis. Okay? Then there's this word repent. Metanoia means, you know what noia means? Your, your mind. Change your mind. Okay? That's all repent means. Change your mind. You've been thinking about life. You've been thinking about eternity. You've been thinking about your work. You've been thinking about your family. You've been thinking about your relationships. You've been thinking about your neighbors in all the wrong ways. And it's just messing with you. And so you got to repent. You got to change the way you think. Uh, which is what Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse, verses 1 and 2. He says, be transformed. That's the Greek word metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's repentance. You say, I'm thinking the wrong way. I got to think a different way. But it's really hard for people to change the way they think. And when you just have stuff coming at you, consumer driven stuff, and you have political stuff coming at you, and it just reinforces sort of what you, be, what you think you believe, it's very hard. It's very hard. I've talked, I, I was with pastors of the largest churches in Arizona. We were at a retreat a few, a few weeks ago. And there's a lot of uncertainty among spiritual leaders because America is so polarized. It's so hard to really teach God's word and get people to get a perspective on God's word. And there's antagonism and there's hostility. And there's confusion in this whole issue of, of uh, gay marriage. I mean, we don't know what to do because people react. Because we are learning from the media and from our politicians how to be hostile. So the church, Peter says, what? They said, what should we do? Repent. You know, that old way of thinking is not going to bring you into the promised land. You repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, this was so important in the early church, being baptized. Repent and be baptized, that you really couldn't separate them. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. He doesn't say repent for the remission of sins and then be baptized. Baptism was, you know, you you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven But in the early church, baptism was a very powerful spiritual event. And so people were baptized, and people who weren't baptized, it was a question, are you really a Christian? I pastored a big church. We had hundreds of people that came to my church that were not baptized. Oh, I'll get around to it. And I'm going to guess that there are numbers of people here that come to church, but you've never been baptized. So I I would have, I would have, uh, we did... I really got on people's case. You know, I said, God wants to move in your life. Repent, be baptized. You know, something's going to happen. When Jesus was baptized, something happened. It was a spiritual event. And it, you know, it's not just something you do because it's you know, something Christians do. It's a time when God does some powerful things in your life, can set you free from bondages. And so we did, we did some mass baptisms. We'd baptize over 100 people at a time. And that's kind of hard to do in a little tank. So we would rent the Tempe wave pool. And we just turned the wave on. Um, not exactly. We did rent the Tempe wave pool. And we would baptize over 100 people. They'd stand in line, you know, people, you know, and we have our leaders and our staff and our elders, and we're just baptizing people. We'd, you know, and I just, I'd share about five minutes, 10 minutes, and we got in the pool and baptized people. 
And it was fantastic. I mean, people would get healed and things would happen in their lives and the families were all there standing around celebrating this. It was fantastic. Um, I, I preach uh, once, twice, sometimes three times a year at a fantastic church uh, on the campus of Arizona State University. It's called Hope Christian Church. And their website is Hope, the number four, ASU. And I preached there last weekend and they had, I'm going to say, 400 students that are going to this church on campus. And it's just incredible. And they've had hundreds of kids come to the Lord. Um, and they do baptisms. They get a horse trough, and they put it out on the lawn in front of Old Main, right on University. And they baptize kids right there on Old, in front of Old Main on the campus. And I've been in those meetings, and it's fantastic. These are these are kids, they're going to move forward, repent, and be baptized. They're serious about their faith. So what are, you going to, what are we going to do, to do about it? Well, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, now, now the second, uh, second thing is open your heart, open your life to the Holy Spirit because you ain't going anywhere until you get the power of God on your side. So Peter says, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts Chapter 2, verse 30, uh, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And, and it's about the Holy Spirit's power. You know, we don't get this in churches in North America. Uh, I've, I've been overseas and... The church is growing right now. You wouldn't know this. A National Geographic had a report on this. National Geographic, the largest, fastest growing religion in the world is Christianity. Not, not Islam. It's Christianity. And it's all in the developing world, in the global south, in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. Uh, in 1900, it's estimated that 80 to 90% of the world's population I'm of, the, of the Christian population in the world, 80 to 90% were white. At the turn of the last century, the estimate is that 80 to 90% of the church worldwide is non-white. It's a massive change. And there, it's, it's not just that there is a larger percentage. It's just that there's so many people that are coming to Christ in other parts of the world, in, in China, and in, in, like I said, in Asia, in Latin America. It's just incredible. And everywhere you go, where churches are growing and people are coming to Christ, there are miracles like you read about in the book of Acts. There are things that are happening. There are miracles. It's estimated that hundreds of thousands of Muslims have come to Christ. I've gotten some, book, some books about it. It's, it's sort of an unreported event. And they're coming to Christ through dreams and visions and miracles. And I was in India a few years ago. We met with a number of Christian Communities, and there were Christians who stood up and shared how they came to know Jesus. And they didn't just read a book and say, well, this makes sense. I'm going to believe in this. Every single one of them had a story of a miracle, how they came to Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing around the world. But here in America, we've just been lulled into sort of a consumer Christianity. You know, we, we have the church, uh, but we, we can't say, well, the church is all we have. I mean, just think about how your consumer mentality, and this is not evil, 
Not everything that you see on television, not everything in secular music is evil or wrong. It's just godless. It's, and not godless in a dark sort of way. It's just neutral, you know? And so we hear about God's word, and then we go outside, and then it's all this sort of just neutral life that's thrown out and all, all the distractions. You know, the church is, it's a, you know, you bring a friend to church, and as you walk out to the parking lot, you know what you ask your, what do you ask your friend? Did you like it? What'd you think about it? It's not, you do that after a movie. You go see a movie and you say, to your, did you like it? Well, yeah, I liked most of it, but there was a song there. I didn't like that song at all. And, uh, you know, that guy talked too long. You know, it was pretty good up to a point. You know, I'll, I'll give it a 3.5, you know, uh, out, of, out of five stars. I mean, that's how we think. We think about, uh, we, everything is rated on a scale of one to five in our culture. Church, your marriage, your car, your drapes, your sofa, the TV show you just watched. Americans, in an instant, can rate everything on a scale of one to five or one to ten, right? And so if we don't like it, I, I used to tell people in my church, everybody came to this church for the same exact reason. Not true of the Catholics. Everybody came to my church for one reason. They liked it. And you know what happens when people don't like it? They go someplace else. And that is, that is such a powerful, it's such a powerful American value just to keep moving on and just to you find, you know, we get this, the pursuit of happiness. And unfortunately, we're never happy. So uh, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the, the Spirit can be seen and heard. It's like Pentecost, like speaking in tongues. There are miracles and, and it, it's alive with, you know, the, what God is doing. It's, it's alive with his presence. There's a rushing, mighty, mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. Um, when uh, my uncle was a pastor in Cleveland, and he just got involved in some of the Pentecost, some Pentecostal experiences, and he had a friend that he had been witnessing to for a long time by the name of Joe, and Joe was Jewish. It's much harder for Jews to say yes to Jesus because they can be renounced by their family. And so Joe, he knew this was true, but he just couldn't make up his mind, and he just knew there was too much to risk. And, and so he, but he finally said yes, and he said, and he told God, he didn't tell anybody else, he told God that I want to know this is real, and I want something to happen at my baptism. And sure enough, when he was baptized, they baptized him in the Chagrin River outside of Cleveland. And when they baptized him, my uncle and, and my, my aunt, his wife, and, and several other people who were there heard singing in the sky. And, you know, my uncle, he's, he's a valedictorian seminary graduate. He's, he's very, he's not fluent. I wouldn't say fluent, but he's, he's a, a he master. He reads, he reads the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. And, uh, you, you know, it's not somebody that would be given to those kinds of, that kind of nonsense. He actually, they heard singing. You know, this is God's presence. So that when, it, when that happens, when that really happens, people say, so what do we do now? So what do we do now? So the third thing that Peter says, he says, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the third thing he says is, save yourself. Save yourself. This, this is, can we, we lose it? Can we pop up the next slide there? We need the next slide. We need the next slide. 
behave yourself. Thank you. <laughs> okay, it's the, it's, the, it's the pumpkin coffee in the back. Okay, anyway. Um, it happens, it happens, okay. So save yourself. Save yourself. Now this is an odd statement. Save yourself. What does that mean? I thought only Jesus can save me. Look at the verse of scripture. Um, save yourself. Uh, he says, um, oh, open your life today. I've got to find this here. So, uh, where am I? Okay, save yourself. Okay, look, look, at, uh, look at the next verse here. Next slide. Uh, with many other words, he, Peter, warned them. They said, what should we do? He warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves, what does he say, from this corrupt generation. Okay. You can know Jesus, and you can still do really stupid things. <laughs> How many of you have done really stupid and even sinful things since you became a Christian? All right. This is why you need the power of the Holy Spirit, and you, you, need, to, you need to save yourself. There's some things you need to do. Now, um, only Jesus can save you from your sins, but you have to save yourself from the craziness of the world. Okay, And there are two sides to salvation. There's justification. That's right standing with God forever because of the perfect, finished work of Christ. Repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, and then there's sanctification, which is the process of becoming more like Jesus day by day. So you're justified. That's like a court term. You're acquitted for all your sin. You're born again. You get the perfect nature of Christ in you. I, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But now you've got to work it out. And that's sanctification. That's the process of becoming more like Christ, where you change the way you think, and you, you, you join this new community, God's people, and together we learn what it means to live life, live out life in a very different way from the way the world lives life out. So Jesus saves me from the eternal penalty of my sins, but not the temporal consequences of my stupid, self-destructive behaviors. If you get pulled over for driving while you're drunk, don't tell the cop, Jesus saved me from this. Okay? <clears throat> and he will say, yeah, you're drunk. Um, hey, you know, God loves you no matter what you do. Really, totally. He also loves you so much, he gave you his word so that you can live the blessed life, the best life possible. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, Jesus has made us perfect forever. That's justification. Those who are being made holy, that's sanctification. So here's uh, Philippians chapter 2 says this. Continue to work out your salvation. Work it out. That's justification. Your salvation, that's justification. But you work it out, that's sanctification, with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill, fulfill his good purpose. So we don't work for our salvation. I don't work on my salvation. We work it out. Now, that brings us to uh, number four. The four things that Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Save yourselves. And then I just, I just want to say this. Peter didn't really say this, but this is real key. You have a choice. People said, what must we do? And you have a choice. And look what it says, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message. Not everybody accepts the message. 
Okay? So you have a choice. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So now there are four things. I'm going to talk now about how do you save yourself. You know, there are actually four things. When now we read into the very next verse, we're going to see how these new Christians saved themselves. Not, for, not from hell, but from the, the world of hell around them. All right? So look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves. And to me, those are really key, three key words. They devoted themselves. Say those with me. They devoted themselves. All right? And what did they devote themselves to? The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread together, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the people, all the believers were, were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone and to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is now the new community living uh, by new principles and by the, by, the, by the word of God and learning together, depending on one another, leaning on one another. And you know, when people from the outside saw this happen, they wanted in. Most, in most, you ask people across America now, do you want into the church? No, they say, I want out. Because the church has, has become an institution and people have become religious and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy. And so people, and more than ever, are going to be looking for new, the new community, God's people that are really serious about their relationship with Jesus. They're not religious. They, you know, they're not uh, nauseating you know, they are sincere, and they love each other, and they're sacrificing for others. So, um, so what, what did the early Christians devote themselves to? Number one, sharing life. Sharing life. They were together. Fellowship, breaking bread. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They continued to meet together, and they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. The writer says, encourage one another every so often. Is that what he says? What is it? Encourage one another what? Daily. Do you know why? It's a long way from Sunday to Sunday. And we need each other. We need people to speak into our life. We need, need, need them to correct us. We need them to encourage us. Why? Uh, it's just to, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You give people seven days, Sunday to Sunday, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of junk between now and next week. And it just starts wearing you down. And so small groups and fellowship and just time together, it's so important. So they devoted themselves to this. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. You know, that's, that's pretty ama- amazing. Everything in common. People say, well, you know, yeah, do, you, do you want the government? Do you want the government to take your money and give it to somebody else? Do you want the government to pay for my son's music career? You know, you know if, if people, that's socialism, right? Well, you know, whatever it, whatever that is, something happened in the early church and people just sort of let go of stuff. You know? But we got a problem. I've, I've actually made up a word. And uh, it's called 
that next slide up there. Possessionism. You know, in the Old Testament it says, thou shalt not covet. Every time you go to the mall or to Target or to Walmart, you, you know, why are you going, ah, I just don't have anything else to do. I'm just going to look around. <laughs> you know, that's like shopping is just like a nice word for coveting, you know? Anyway. Uh, anyway. So, number, number two, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Secondly, they devoted themselves to growing in their faith, the apostles' teaching. Okay. Now, this is really important. This wasn't just Christian doctrine. Okay. It was a biblical worldview, a perspective. That is, how to do life biblically. You know, what does this mean for your marriage? What does this mean for your, your business or your job? Or your relationships with your neighbors? Uh, or, or your attitudes? Uh, what, what does this mean about your driving habits? You know? Or, you know, all the, all the things. You know, it's, there's a wonderful little verse in, in Philippians chapter 4. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord is near. You know, but we just started, you know, we, we don't, we're not... We have, we have church, but it's not that church is all we have. Or, you know, our life with Christ is all we have. You know, my, uh, we were on a road trip with my brother and his wife. Uh, we were gone for two weeks, drove all through Utah and Wyoming and Montana and Colorado. And, and uh, while we were gone, her, uh, uh, my brother's little... Uh, oldest granddaughter she's six years old my brother's 11 years younger than I am so he's got these really young grandkids and and uh Gracie it was her birthday and so she called and left a a voice message for her grandma and her voice message went pretty pretty much like this hi grandma I got lots of awesome presents for my birthday she kind of said it just like that thank you for the shoes I love them I'm getting used to the blisters. <laughs> she said that. And then she said, thank you again. Goodbye. Amen. That's how she ended the voicemail. Amen. And I thought, son of a gun, that's how we should end our prayers. Goodbye. You know, you know at the very end of the service, I say goodbye. You know, everybody goes out of the service and God, we say goodbye to God. God, thank you for this wonderful meal. Thank you for providing to us. Goodbye. Because that's pretty much all we really think about God until the next meal, you know? And so, uh, you know, there, there's a way that we have to grow in our faith. We've got to somehow understand that, that our faith, we've got to bring our faith, our walk with God into everything. This is how to do life biblically, the apostles' teaching, how to be a Christ follower, how to live a Christ-like life. The early Christians devoted themselves to learning about life from their spiritual leaders instead of from this corrupt generation. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that word in, in, in Hebrew means skill. That when you fear the Lord, it guides you in how you do life, how you do marriage, how you, do, how you raise children, how you deal with your aging parents or family, how you deal with your mom and dad if you're a teenager. It changes the way we do life, the fear of the Lord. Okay, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. 
Remember them. And this is such a powerful statement. Consider the outcome of their way of life. They ain't perfect. You can always find things to criticize in other people's lives. But what about their whole life, the outcome of their life? How are their kids doing? How are their grandkids doing? And, you know, I like to say that my life is sort of the tip of the... When you hear me or you listen to me, or you know me, my life is the tip of this ice, iceberg of generations of families. My great-grandfather, who was a pastor. My grandfather, who was a pastor. My two uncles, my mother's brothers, who were pastors. My dad, who worked very hard as a public school teacher and brought his witness of the gospel to his teachers, to his colleagues, and to the kids. Um, you know, and, and how he worked hard. It was, and actually worked two jobs Put us, put my, uh, me and my brothers through college. Got our teeth straightened, and you know my, the faithfulness of my mom and dad to one another for fifty years. Do you think that's not going to affect me? Do you don't think that's not going to make me a better pastor to all the people that I share God's word with? See, and who's perfect? But look at the outcome of people's lives. My dad on a teacher's salary when my mother finally passed away. She left her three sons three pieces of property. Their home, the home next door that they had bought for my grandparents to live in, and and a cabin in Munch Park in Flagstaff, all paid for. How did they do that? So, growing in the faith, the fear of the Lord, consider the outcome of people's lives and, and, and imitate them. Imitate their faith. Number three, reaching out. So these are, how do they, how do they, how do they now get disconnected from the world? By, by, um, by the fellowship, by growing in their faith, the apostles' teaching. Third, by reaching out. They gave to everyone as he had need, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were, they were living to serve others, okay? They, had, they were missional. And then finally, uh, number, uh, number four, they did it by worshiping God. Okay? They devoted themselves to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done, and they kept praising God. You know, I did not put this in, in the, over in the uh, slides, but I, I just took it. I got a marker. Can you see this right here? Can you see there's three circles, and they overlap each other in the back? Can you guys see the three circles? Barely? And then I've colored this area right here where they all overlap. So these are the three, these are the three things. Uh, this is the, these are the ways that we save ourselves. Number one, fellowship, okay? Being together with other Christians, all right? Secondly, uh, growing, paying attention to the apostles' doctrine and the lives of the people who teach us God's word. And the third thing is serving others. And when we're, when we're in fellowship and we're growing, we're being taught and... and um, we're serving, we're reaching out to others. There's an overlap. And this area of overlap right here, this is what brings glory to God. Not just singing songs, but this is what brings glory to God. The overlap of these things that we devote ourselves to, we devote ourselves to because we want to save ourselves and we want to be everything that God has called us to be. And you know, when this happens, when those areas of your life are working, it's what Jesus says is abundant life. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. Amen. Would you please stand?
know, this is, I mean, this is, this church is getting better and better. It's only an hour and 10 minutes. I used to preach until like quarter to one. (laughs) You consumers. When's this going to be over? Okay. Um, You're not going to like heaven because that's not going to be over forever. That's a problem, you know? All right. Uh, If you don't mind, just reach out to God and say this after me. Heavenly Father, we are your people. I belong to you. My life is yours. But there are so many distractions. I spend more time with the distractions than I do with you. Thank you that you watch over me, that you love me, and that you're always right here, right now. Jesus, forgive us. We want to be more like you. We want to hear your voice more clearly. We want to serve you. We need you. We need each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.